I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Get Rich Slow Club podcast is a collaboration between Tash Etchman from Tash Invest and Anna Christina from Perla. The Get Rich Slow Club acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we record on. From coast to coast, across land, waters and communities, we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Any advice is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives. So consider whether it's appropriate for you. Welcome to the Get Rich Slow Club podcast, where we take you from beginner to confident investor, where we can teach you everything you need to know about investing. So come get rich slow with us. This is a great episode that's all about super. We have a guest that goes by Dr. Super due to anonymity, who works for an industry super fund. He answers some of the most commonly asked questions and spoke to us about the first home super saver scheme and what he thinks about contributing to your super when you're self-employed. He also talks about what you should consider when looking at insurances. We are super excited to have Dr. Super with us today, but first let's start off with our money wins and losses. Anna, did you have one for us today? I spent way too much money at Ikea. I went to Ikea. I had, I finally like, I don't know. I don't think I mentioned on the podcast, but I, I wrote a book. So I, I, yes, had a week, I had a week off to just relax and I needed to run some errands and I went to Ikea and I spent money on the breakfast and all, all the containers I didn't need and the rug that I definitely needed. And yeah, I'm a little bit embarrassed of how much money I spent. I don't want to say how you much, say? Okay, I was no, gonna no, ask. No. but I think I'm going to return um, a whole bunch of them. Okay. I took them home. And and I was like, oh, this isn't really working. So I, I feel like it'll be okay. I'll feel less guilty Did about the money. Did you get a hot dog or something to make up for it? The dollar hot dog? Oh, um, no, I, I got the breakfast. I got extra hash browns. I, I love hash browns. So, Amazing. Too much money, but that's okay. Dylan, do you have one for us? Yeah, I have a money win. Oh. I, I really, really needed a new iPhone. So this is my... My brand new iPhone 13 mini. Yeah. Oh. Um, everyone's been making fun of me because I got the mini version, but Looks I like the small, small phones. Yeah. But look, I, I saw it on sale. It was 1049 with Apple, but I saw, I got one of those promos for giftcards.com.au where it's 10% off Apple oh, nice. gift cards. And I also saw that Officeworks actually had the phone $20 cheaper. Ooh, so nice. I, I did go back to Apple and say, can you price match 
for that. So $20 off there. And then I paid $1,000 worth of gift cards, but it only cost me 900 So ended up getting $120 cheaper than, yeah, than just buying it straight from Apple. So I think that's a bit of a money Amazing. Win. Good hack. Yeah. What is it? Giftcards.com.au? Yeah, yeah. And price match. Good. Yeah. Nice. Good promo. Yeah. yeah. Mine this morning, um, I was at the airport and I have gold with Virgin, so I can go into lounges when I land, and I got my free coffee instead of buying one. So that's a win. Oh, definitely. Nice. Yeah. Let's start with a bit about your journey to working at a super fund. How did you transition from studying psychology to working at a super fund? Yeah, so look, I've always been interested in how things work and, and more specifically how people work. And look, personal finance was always a hobby of mine. I was just really interested in learning more. Investment markets was something that sort of over time you, you sort of dip your toe in the water a little bit and then you get really hooked and you, you want to learn more and find out more. But when I got into investing, I, I guess superannuation sort of caught my eye as well because most Australians don't realise that their super is actually invested. And once I found out about that, that you know became of interest to me as well. And when, when I did my university degree, I did a research degree. Part of that was actually in financial decision making. So on the topics of risk aversion, loss aversion, things that really affect individual investor behaviour and things that affect us all the time in daily life. And so from there, when I saw a role available in a super fund as I was getting to the end of my degree, I thought I'd apply for it. And yeah, sort of made the pivot from there. And yeah, it's been it's been a really cool journey. Um, it's, it's really interesting to, to see what goes on at a super fund, all the different roles that are available. And it's really been interesting to talk to members as well and, and be able to interact with them and yeah, really just find out a little bit more about how people tick. So that's kind of the, the full circle there. Yeah. Do you find that you use some of your psychology? degree in your everyday at the Superfund? I don't think I, I apply it, but I, I'm, I'm the type of person who really likes people watching. I really find it interesting, yeah, sort of seeing how people tick and seeing what's on people's minds. So yeah, I sort of get a little bit of that side of things um, out of the job. Yeah, it's awesome. What are some of the most commonly asked questions you get? Yeah, look, I, I think that there, it really does depend on the economic climate almost and then sort of what's happening in investment markets. I can say for sure that when the markets are going down, uh, the first question we get is, why is my balance going? down. And it's something that people really don't think about until they see their balance going down. Perhaps they get an, a six-monthly statement or an annual statement uh, and they see the balance is lower than uh, what it was at the, the start of the year or, or whatever it may be. Or they just happen to, you know, now that we have access to mobile apps for everything, most super funds have a mobile app. You might log in, you know, a couple of days later and see it's slightly lower than what it was before. So so that's probably the, the main question because people don't realise that your super is actually invested, uh, coming back to what I was speaking about before. But aside from that sort of question, most questions revolve around how can I put money into super and also how can I take money out of super? And so, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into a little bit of that with contribution limits and whatnot when you're putting money into super and conditions of release when, when you're trying to take money out of super as well. Mm-hmm. What's your answer when someone asks, why is my super gone down? Do you have a nice practice answer? Yeah, look, I, I sort of have a rehearsed answer. You know, it starts off sort of being able to to talk to somebody and say, look, this is actually how your money is invested. A lot of people don't realise that there is a sort of default my super option now that their, their money is invested into when they do receive an account. But some people are a little bit aware of markets. They might have um, made a switch. But for example, you know, somebody might put their money into a high growth fund because their friends told them to do so, but they sort of did so thinking that, you know, high growth always goes up, right? And so they weren't ever informed about the flip side of that, which means there is volatility in the meantime, risk and return are linked. So 
if you want more return, you're probably going to have more risk as uh, a part of that as well. So it's just just about setting expectations. I don't think any super fund ever makes any promise about uh, returns that they can deliver with their customers on a on a daily or one monthly basis. But it's about sort of zooming out to the long term and sort of bringing it back to the ten year time horizon, multiple decade time horizon, um, and sort of resetting expectations from there. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the my super default option. What is that made up of? Yeah. So look, the the my super option is the government approved option that a super fund can use to sort of onboard new clients. And so generally it's a balanced option or a slightly growthier option by default that most super funds put their members into. But as I like to say to people, the my super option, because it's a default, it it works for everybody, but it works for nobody at the same time. You know, you can't really have a one size fits all solution, although we need one because if you're going to put people into a super fund product, you need to choose something that's probably the path of least resistance that's going to be good for them in the end. But at the same time, you know, it's it's never going to be individualized um, to, to any one person. And it's not the same across each super company either, right? So your balanced option might be more balanced at one super company, but it might be more conservative at another, right? Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, different super funds have different approaches. So broadly, you can split it into a default sort of fixed asset arrangement. So most super funds tend to be around about a 70% growth asset split to 30% defensive assets. But other super funds choose a life cycle style of my super product, which means that when you're younger, you have a higher allocation to the growth assets. And then over time, they gradually move you into a more conservative asset allocation. So that's, again, that's something that people might not be aware of. You might actually move super funds and realize, you know, if you're a little bit on, on the older side, you could have assets in a more conservative mix, and then you move it to a different super fund thinking it's the same arrangement, but instead you've actually been moved to a sort of more riskier uh, product that may not be appropriate for you. I, I know you mentioned that your role is more member focused. So you you work with the customer, the client, the the user, as we say in tech. Um, so you must hear tons of questions uh, that that you've talked mentioned already. But it like I find super so complex when I first came to Australia. That was one of those things where I was like, I need to figure this out. This is a financial thing that's happening. Can you talk about some of the complexity and what what questions you get asked around that? We can start with changing investment options. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, look, people find it really difficult because it is difficult um, at the end of the day. But at the same time, if you do nothing, you're still probably going to end up in a decent enough position. So that is promising, um, especially because look, Australians don't understand superannuation, you know, all, all that well, although I think it really is changing. But at the, at the same time, you know, considering how much wealth Australians have in superannuation, we've kind of gotten away with it. We've kind of fluked it. Most Australians are in a, you know, a better position than if they had no superannuation system. But look, j- just sort of getting on the topic of what you can do to change things in your super, you, you know, you, you do have some degree of flexibility. Um, you do have the ability to change your investment options, like I was touching on before. Um, most super funds, you know, the, the, default uh, option, like I said, you either sort of have a fixed asset allocation or a life cycle type of asset allocation. But in general, super funds also have what's called pre-mixed options and single sector options. So in a pre-mixed option, it's it's an all-in-one portfolio that's designed with a, a goal or an objective in mind. So something like a high growth portfolio is is much higher weighted in growth assets versus defensive assets versus something that's either balanced or conservative in nature. It's, it's obviously got a different risk profile suited for a different type of member. But at the same time, there are single sector options as well. So if somebody knows or, or has high conviction, for example, in being in Australian shares, they can choose their own allocation to Australian shares 
rather than being left at the whim of the, the, the fund manager themselves to choose what that allocation would be inside any one portfolio. Likewise, with, with international shares, property, bonds, cash, all of those are single sector options where people in their fund can actually choose the individual asset allocation. And is there something that they need to consider when they're choosing that? Like, is there something that, you know, you have to walk them through or tax or yeah, fees things to consider or any switching yeah. every week? Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I think that most, for most people, the set and forget approach is is really what you want. You know, you, you do see some people who have really high switching um, activity on their account and that might not always be in their best interest, nor, nor do they necessarily, you know, have the calculations on hand to actually see if they're making themselves better off or worse off. But I think the government's really tried to actually standardise how we approach risk and return across industries. So that that's part of why my super was introduced. But most super funds will generally give a minimum expected time frame that you should actually stay in an investment. Uh, and that's really good information to be able to see on any super provider's website. Um, generally, they, they like to quote it in terms of the minimum time to stay in the investment, but they also try and give you an indication of in a 20-year period in how many years you can expect a negative return. Um, and that that's really helpful in any conversation. So some of these higher risk options, you might actually see that in any 20-year period, you could expect a negative return in six or seven years. And that's that's across an entire year. And a year is quite a long time when you're considering, you know, watching your account balance go down. But it's a way of trying to put a number to a known unknown. So we, we know that we're not always going to have, you know, periods of you know, economic growth and where investment markets are going up, but it's setting that expectation saying, look, we, we know that there are going to be periods where the investments are going to be going downhill. But in saying that, we, we've planned for this and you should plan for it as well when choosing your investments to make sure that you're not in a product where you're going to need that money when the market is down. Do you have financial advisors or other people that you can refer people onto to get advice about their super within the super fund? For sure. Yeah. Look, there are different tiers of advice. So it's most likely you'll have access to general financial advisors and then also, you know, personal and more specific comprehensive financial advisors. And look, the way that super funds do it across the board, it's very, very different depending on which super fund you're with, but it's worth reaching out to your super fund. I mean, look, this is partially where some of your administration fees go that you're paying, even if it's giving them a call for more factual information, or if you do have a session with a general advisor who might be able to tell you what people in your position tend to be doing. So people in your age bracket, people with similar goals, the types of choices they might actually be making, whether it's you know a good idea to put in extra money, whether you're going to meet those general retirement goals. But at the same time, obviously, there is access to the specific financial advisors that can actually go really in depth into your specific case and, and look at things inside super and outside super to put together a really comprehensive plan. Usually for members, it's, you know, it's a subsidized service as well. So, you know, it, it's always a good idea to, to check in and at least have the conversation to see if it's something that's, you know, worth, worth approaching and going down that road. Yeah, free financial advice would be great if you can get the general sessions for free. <laughs> That's it. So another thing I found interesting when I first came to Australia, <laughs> I, I referenced this a lot, but super was one of the first ways that I thought about investing in Australia because I had to, right? I was employed here. Insurance within super was something that I was like, how does this work? Is it tax efficient? Why is it linked to my super? Why is it not external to super? How does how does this work? Can you just kind of give a little bit of a overview of how insurance is tied into super? Yes. Yeah, so, so there are three different types of insurances that you can apply for in super. Um, so there's there's death cover or life cover as well as it's called, TBD cover, total and permanent disablement, and income protection insurance as well. Um, so, so most Australians might find that I actually have some of this provided by default. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, relax. 
and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But if you do need additional insurance, you can apply for additional insurance. You can remove that insurance. You can take it away. I believe it was legislated that a certain minimum um, default level of insurance should be provided, although the rules do change a little bit over time there. But essentially, a death insurance is paid out in the event that you do pass away, or if you are terminally ill, you might be able to access that early if it's if it's been approved by, I think it's two doctors. TPD insurance is paid out as a lump sum in the event that you aren't able to work again or, or perform household duties generally, and income protection insurance is more of a temporary uh, type of insurance in place for if you do have a temporary illness or disability, something that prevents you from doing your day-to-day work or anything that you're reasonably qualified for. It's a, it's a sort of a, a temporary measure um, in place there. And look, I, I think that a lot of Australians don't really consider insurance in in general. I believe that we're, we're a pretty underinsured nation, um, and, and it's worth considering because you you want to be able to make sure, depending on your financial circumstances and depending on your your family situation, I feel like people in general they'll hit certain life stages and they'll sort of go on and and not really consider how their insurance needs have changed. So look, as a single person, your insurance needs are very very different to if you do have a family and you get married, and, and likewise down the line if you do set yourself up financially and you, you you have certain buffers in place, you might actually not need insurance. So um, like I try to say to people, nobody wants you to be in a position where you're underinsured or overinsured. It's always worth reviewing at least semi-regularly. If you do go through big life changes, um, it's always worth checking with your super fund the conditions under which you can make claims for insurance and, and check where you are today. Generally, on any annual statement you receive, it'll give you an indication of how much level of cover that you actually have. And then from there, again, most super funds have advice services where you can check in with somebody, they can make an assessment on how much insurance you might need to consider. Um, and likewise, you can always keep tabs of how much you're actually paying for those premiums as well and, and make sure it's worth it. Mm, it's one of those things that's really easy to just keep putting off forever into the later bucket. Absolutely. Oh, it's yeah. on my to-do list. Yeah. I've mentioned this before. So. And you speak to people as well and, and look, they they say, yeah, look, I'll get around to it. And I, I just say, look, we're speaking about it right now. Just knock it out. Just get, get it out of the way. Yeah. Because it's important, right? Like if something were to happen to you, that's uh, your your whole livelihood, your life, you could impact your, the rest of your family or Absolutely. yourself. So. And one thing I'll touch on as well is people do switch super funds quite frequently now. I think it's really easy to, especially through MyGov and whatnot. But what people don't realise is that when you do change super funds, if you roll out of a super fund, generally your insurance within that fund will, will cancel. And so on MyGov itself, it actually does tell you yes or no, whether you hold insurance within a fund um, and you 
you do find that some people will roll over, not realising that they've cancelled their insurance and want it reinstated through to their to their new super fund. And that process is is is, is open. You can actually do that. You can transfer insurance subject to the um, individual elig- eligibility, but you need to do so when you have an active policy. That that's the first thing you do first. You do a transfer of insurance first, and if it's approved, then that's the the green tick to actually go ahead and roll over the the money side of it second. And so if you do find yourself in a position where you are somebody that's not very insurable, you might have some health conditions going on and it's difficult for you to actually apply for insurance later down the track, um, you, you want to make sure that you're maintaining the insurance cover you have now. If you do roll over your, your super, make sure the insurance goes with you if you want it to come across. Mm, it's really important. I think it's missed from the conversation a lot of the time. I've heard of strategies as well where people keep their first super fund open to keep paying for their insurance if they can't roll it over and then move their super to another super fund, for example. So that might be an option for people as well. That's right. Yeah, look, that's one of the cases where having multiple super funds might be a good idea. I think the conversation has very much been, you need one super fund, don't have multiple super funds because you can pay additional premiums. But there's always exceptions to every case. And this this would be one of them. Yeah, goes back to personal finance is personal. That's it. Um, you mentioned earlier that one of the most frequently asked questions is how people can actually add money to super. So how can they? Yeah, of course. Well, by default in Australia, if you are in a position where you are needing to be paid the minimum 11%, that 11% is going in no matter what. So that makes things nice and easy there. But but generally for people, it's important to know that you can make additional super contributions. And there, there are so many options available to you, even when you're in higher tax brackets and you're earning a lot of money, um, you can get quite significant tax savings by putting extra money into super. But but even when you're, you do have periods where you're not working a lot, uh, you might be on a career break, you might be starting a family, whatever the situation is, you, you do have opportunities to put money in and, and the government, for example, can match m- money that you're putting into superannuation as well. So I think by and large, probably the, the easiest way that you could uh, make additional contributions to super is through what's called a salary sacrifice arrangement. So that's where you go to your employer and you say, I would like you to put in an extra um, whatever amount of dollars in into my super or whatever percentage um, extra into my super and contribute that and and it, and it will never hit your bank account. Um, that, that's probably the sort of behavioural hack there that you you never actually see the money hit your account so you don't feel it as a, you know, it's, it's lost money. Or Now, that being said, you still need to be mindful of things like contribution caps. So the contribution cap is $27,500 for concessional contributions and, and a good way to remember what a concessional contribution is. It's uh, the type of contribution where you're receiving a tax concession. So you get that 15% tax. Yeah, we were looking for an easy way to explain it in the last super episode. We were just like, oh, no, but I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, so, so you get the 15% tax rate on it, which which is you know a hell of a lot better than the, the marginal tax rates generally if you're on one of those higher marginal tax rates um, or any tax rate that's higher than, than 15%. Um, and so when, when the super gets in, it, it gets taxed concessionally and it's, it's a good way to boost your balance, like I said, without the money ever hitting your bank account. But but even then, you know, you, you can still make personal contributions yourself out of your bank account. You might um, have a lump sum become available. You might receive a bonus. You might receive an inheritance or, or, or whatever the situation might be. Um, and from there, you can actually make that personal contribution into your account. And if you would like to claim a tax deduction on it, you, you would submit what's called a notice of intent to claim a tax deduction. And that's the, the process where the super fund says, look, look, I've got your permission now to take that 15% tax out and we will convert it on our end into a concessional contribution. Form, you give it to the super fund or to the ATO? To, to the super fund. Okay. Yeah. So it goes to the super fund. They change the, the tax status of that contribution. And then they'll send you a confirmation letter saying, we've received this concessional contribution and you can give that to your accountant. And from there, they can deduct that 
at tax time and you'll get the tax benefit back at tax time. Yeah. Awesome. So either directly and then fill out the forms or through your employer and fill out their forms. That's Two right. Options. Yeah. And it's, it's essentially the same thing from a, a maths perspective, but with the salary sacrifice, you, you sort of get the tax benefit straight away because your employer would, would withhold less tax versus the personal contribution. You would get the refund at tax time when you do the, your personal taxes. Do yeah. you make additional contributions? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I like to, to put a little bit in for sort of my, my side hustle income to cover that, sort of paying my own SG in a way. And as well as that, I like to put a little bit extra in just to cover the insurance premiums as well that I pay in my super, just to make sure I'm not sort of going backwards um, in that way as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to look at it, covering the insurance premiums. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And look, it's important to remember as well, if you're in a lower tax bracket, doing a salary sacrifice arrangement might not be appropriate to you. Because for example, if you are, you know, say earning $15,000 a year and you're actually not getting um, taxed on any of the money in your take-home pay, it doesn't make sense to do a salary sacrifice where 15% gets gets taken out from there. Um, so other options are just doing a simple non-concessional contribution, which means you could just put the money in your super transfer from your bank account, no notice of intent form, you just leave it as is, and you, you could actually potentially get the benefit of the government co-contribution, which I think is something you touched on in your last episode as well, where the government will actually match you up to 50% of contributions you make up to them contributing $500. So if you did make a $1,000 contribution into your super, as long as you're under the income threshold, that they will match you up to the $500. So instant 50% return on putting $1,000 in, that's that's what I would call a money win. Yeah. I wish I'd learned about that years and years ago. That would have been great, but I yeah. missed out. Really good for uni students, I think, if yeah. they've got the spare cash. Yeah. We have a few audience questions and thought we would share them with you and, and get your answer. Sure. The first one is, choosing a super fund is so hard with so many out there and with not enough history. Help. Yeah. Well, look, I think the um, the first thing to do is just to find out where your super currently is. I think lots of people still have multiple super funds out there. So just finding out where your super is right now is is probably the, the best way to start. I would go to the ATO's website or more specifically within your MyGov if you've got the ATO linked. As long as your super funds have your tax file number, generally they'll all pop up and they'll be in your account. So start there and, and see if there's actually any ATO lost super under your name as well. It's worth checking. Pro- probably most likely if you have a casual job from many, many years ago, it could be a um, ATO lost super account now. So it's worth checking. But look, it's un- important to understand the fees that you're currently paying. So in again, in the fund that you're in, make sure you understand what the admin fee is, what the investment fee is, where the fees and charges go. And then fr- from there, depending on you know if you're satisfied and you're happy to stay where you are um, versus making a change, it's, it's always good to do research. Um, so look, there are tools out there like Chant West. That's a great research tool. What's that? Chant West? Chant West. Ooh. Yeah. You can maybe pop it in yet. the show notes. Yeah, Chant um, West. Write that one down. Yeah. So, so that's a great tool. Really helpful in terms of like for like comparisons on your super. And look, they can even help compare insurance premiums and whatnot. But look, in general, the the big industry funds, they tend to be the best performing over the long term. Which funds are you referring to there when you say big industry funds? Yeah. So, so generally the, the types of funds at the top of the APRA heat map. So your, your big funds like Australian Super, Australian Retirement Trust, HESTA, those types of funds tend, tend to, over the long term, do better because of those lower fees. So, Is it because they have more people in those funds for lower fees or... It definitely helps now. Yeah. So, so we're seeing quite a lot that 
the economy of scale. So those funds that really do have billions upon billions in management, they are doing better now because they can cut fees. So it, it really is competitive. And sort of across the board, you're seeing consolidation of super funds now for those smaller funds that tend to be underperforming because they don't have enough assets under management. Um, and so they're tending to be removed or, or merged into, into bigger funds now. What's a lower fee to look for? Because I know when we're looking at ETFs, you can get fees for 0.03%, which isn't the case with super. So what is generally a low fee? As long as you're in the realm of half a percent per year in terms of sort of investment fees and, and look, you know, maybe 0.5 to 0.8%, I think that's a pretty, pretty good proxy at the moment. You, look, you can really finesse things, get things cheaper, especially if you're choosing investment options like indexed investment options within a super fund, you can really get the investment fee very, very low. But sort of coming back to what we were saying before, things like insurance or other perks, you might really enjoy the the customer service with with one super fund that's really important to you you have an advisor there that you feel looked after with that's one reason to stay with with a, a fund that's not fees at the same time insurance premiums you know the the fund that that I've chosen might have lower insurance premiums than another fund even though the administration fee is higher so um you, you do need to weigh it all up but yeah in, in general for for administration and investment around 0.5 to 0.8 is a is a good proxy for our next question, it is, I was wondering how you actually feel about super. I'm leaning towards it not being that beneficial in our age group, early 30s, because I'm sure something will happen that won't allow us to access it until we are dead at this point. I'm self-employed, so I don't bother with super at the moment and would rather put my money into other investments. Interesting. I kind of felt this initially for a while where I was like, oh, super's so far away. Why would I bother? But there's lots of benefits, isn't there? Yeah. Look, I, I think that it, it is a little bit of a pessimistic stance that, that I would I would say. And I, I think that comes from a place of maybe not understanding the benefits of super, but, but also I do find that with self-employed people, they think that they can better invest the money themselves. And, and look, fair enough and more power to you. I'm, I'm sure, especially in the early stages, if you're starting up with a business, you really want to have full control over every single dollar and make sure that it's working for you. And, and you know, if you look at super and see 10% returns or 9% returns, you know, you, you might feel like, look, I can better invest that money within my own business. Yeah. And, and, and look, that, that may well be very, very true. But, but what I would say is that for, for people who aren't self-employed, they do have that money going away for retirement. It's locked away. You, you can't make as many necessarily bad decisions with, with the money either, even though you can't, you know, fully utilize it to, to put in the business. At, at the same time, you're, you're sort of protecting yourself. It's a bit of a hedge for your, your own future. But what I'd like to say as well is for self-employed people, you are really putting all your eggs in that one business. And I think that with, we forget that with superannuation and investments in general, we think of stocks. We don't, we think of numbers. We think of things that aren't real tangible things. But at the end of the day, investments in stocks are businesses. So you're investing in other businesses, likely thousands of other businesses. So it, it could be very, very helpful to actually have money in invested in businesses that aren't your own at the same time. And and so that, that sort of just, it's a bit of downside risk, you know, even if everything else crumbles, you do have that set aside for yourself. Like I said, it depends on your goals and objectives, but especially in the early years as well, the compounding can really add up as well. And especially insurances too, like if you're not putting money in your super, how does that work? Does it just eat away at your super fund until your insurance is, there's no money to pay for them? Yeah. Well, look, if you get to a position where there's not enough money to pay the insurances, the insurances will cancel. So you'd get a lot of pre-warning about that. But um, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. You you need money there to pay the insurance. Or if they're self-employed, maybe they're insured elsewhere. Yeah. You know, could be. Yeah. Lots of things to consider. All right. Last question. Thoughts on the first home super saver scheme? Well, look, this is actually something that I've 
personally used, um, have a little bit of experience with. And j- just for the people who aren't aware, as I'm probably sure you're not because Super is complex and there's too many things to keep track of, but the first time Super Saver Scheme, it's actually a way for you to access your own personal contributions that you've put into Super. So unfortunately, not the employer contributions. They have to stay in the Super system. Uh, but if you've been making your your own personal contributions and they are eligible to be withdrawn, um, you can actually access those personal contributions. And so you could, in a way, you're using your superannuation as a bit of a, a saving vehicle for your first home. So specifically, if you are buying your first home and you do meet the criteria, it can be really, really helpful to actually use the low rate tax environment for superannuation, so that 15% um, on the way in if you're doing salary sacrifice, um, and then be able to withdraw those contributions at a later date. And there are caps associated with that as well. You can't withdraw more than $15,000 worth of contributions per year. And overall, um, as of the recording today, uh, you can't withdraw more than $50,000 from your super under the scheme. But look, it's it's just another option, I suppose, to to add um, in terms of trying to alleviate the pressure of buying your first house. Yeah. What happens if you decide you don't want to buy a house? Can you withdraw and change your mind or is it stuck there? I believe that it would be stuck there. Oh, look, you'd have to contact the ATO and double check. Negative, not stuck, but yeah. Yeah, look, you'd have to contact them. I think that there there might be a penalty associated with if you did keep it out, whether or not the penalty was was worth it. That, that's that's something you'd have to decide. And just, just to make everyone aware as well, there is um, a certain uh, tax on the withdrawal as well. So uh, again, depending on the amount of time you want to have the money sitting there in your super as well, um, you'd have to decide whether it's worth it to, to pull it out to begin with. Mm-hmm. So we're going to finish up here, but before we do, what is the one thing that you would suggest everyone go and do right now in regards to their super? Yeah, look, in general, I just think it's good to have a health check um, on your super and just check where things are as of today, whether that's what investment options you're in right now, whether that's the insurance that you're in, and also just checking to see how your super is actually stacking up for people in your age group and, and with your own goals. ASFA, the Australian Superannuation Funds Association, they have some great tools on on that type of thing. So you can actually pop in your date of birth or your, your birth year and they'll sort of tell you how much super you should probably have right now, not to scare people away. Mine's under where it should be because I went went to university and did study, but it's just good to actually get a bit of a benchmark and see where you should be. And yeah, just don't, don't delay. If you've got questions, just just ask them um, from your super fund. That's where your admin fees are, are going towards. So it's always worth educating yourself. And yeah, just, just anything you don't understand, there's no such thing as a stupid question because it is a very, very hard system to navigate. Yeah, I think this is really highlighted to just give them a call. And there's lots of friendly customer service people to answer your questions. That's it. Or free advice. And maybe they'll get you. Yeah. They could. They could. <laughs> Let me know if you think you're talking to me. <laughs> they recognise your voice. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. This is great. No worries. Thanks for having me. This has been so fun. Oh, yay. Thanks so much for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, please rate us five stars, write a review, or share with a friend. If you're new to investing, make sure to listen to our first 10 episodes. Follow us at Get Rich Slow Club or Tash at Tash Invest or me at Anna Christina. This show was brought to you by Natasha Edgman, who is an authorized representative, 12-99881 of Guideway Financial Services, AFSL 420367, and Perla, who is an authorized representative, 1281540 of Sanlam Private Wealth, AFSL 337927. 
Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to investing. So make sure you check out our financial services guides and read the product disclosure statement and target market determination for any investments you're considering. See our show notes for more info. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.